Did you know that since 1993, 178 million children in 160 countries have received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox gift? As the coronavirus continues to spread and cause untold suffering, children around the world need hope and joy now as much as ever. This year, Samaritan's Purse anticipates reaching another 11 million children with shoebox gifts. Every child who receives an Operation Christmas Child shoebox hears the message of Jesus Christ. And each year, more than 4 million shoebox recipients participate in a follow-up discipleship program called The Greatest Journey. Visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to learn how you can pack a shoebox gift and be part of this global effort of fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ. That's SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. I am your host, Chuck Peters, and I'm so glad to have you join us today. If you haven't already checked out the archives of our podcast, I want to encourage you to go to kidsministry101.com and click through our blog posts and our past podcast episodes. There is a plethora, dare I say, a plethora of content there that is intended to inform, instruct, and inspire you as you lead in your ministry. So please check out kidsministry101.com and look for the encouragement that you will find there in our past episodes. Speaking of encouragement, I'm excited today to have my friend Brian Dimbozek on the podcast. Hey, Brian. Hey, Chuck. A plethora of encouragement today. A, a litany. Plethora. A bounty. <laughs> a litany. I like that. It's a, it is definitely a bountiful plethora. There you go. <laughs> so oh, that's exponential. As... I'm getting a headache. <laughs> big word. This is the big word podcast with a name like Dembozik. We, I brought yeah, my nickel word. words. So Brian Dembozik is the publishing team leader for the Gospel Project for Kids and the managing editor of the Gospel Project Altogether. You're, you have become a really important person in uh, the lifeline world. <laughs> Just go with it. Go with it. Okay. But, yeah, I so am. I'm really important. Plethora Brian, of importance. You, you've been at Lifeway now for, is it almost six years? Today is six years. Today, no, six years ago. No, are you kidding ago, me? No, I'm not kidding. Today, six wow. years ago, I was going through that awful training. Oh, yes. Uh, learning all the bells and whistles of what Lifeway is, but getting that free lunch out of it. <laughs> so I was completely off the cuff. I had no idea it was six years yep. to the day Today. until I actually said that. So, well, happy anniversary. Happy work anniversary. Yeah. Work anniversary. But I remember when you joined the team and came from the local church. You're from the Northeast. You're from Maryland. You had been yep. in Florida uh, and came on with us and the kids team uh, on the Gospel Project team. And I remember when you first came on how people struggled with your name. <laughs> and so tell us just a little bit. There may be listeners out there who can relate but yeah. there are some of us with a name like Peters, uh, who that's not been an issue. But how many different ways have people mispronounced your name? A plethora of different ways. <laughs> a litany? A litany. <laughs> Is it a um, cornucopia of ways? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, and it's understandable. I, you know, you got to give amazing grace to pardon that uh, uh, music steal um, to people because it is a hard name. It's so many consonants just jumbled together. So... Yeah. And, but you've lived you with know, it your whole life. I have. 
Now, my wife hasn't. She's lived over. I was going to say, now, Tara, she actually, you were born into the name. She actually chose to take it. Yes, so it was almost Tara. a deal breaker. <laughs> Her maiden name was Evans. Oh, easy. <laughs> no. You should have gone the other way. <laughs> That's what she argued, but yeah, maybe I should But, you know, Brian Evans would have, in, to argue against it, Brian Evans would be a name that's so ordinary, it may be easily forgotten. If there's anything about Dimbozik, it's, it's not easily forgotten. You can't say it, but you can't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a very good, two of my very best friends when I was younger were Frank Remshivsky. And so I had to learn that. And then J- Jimmy Diefenderfer. And with friends <laughs> named Remshivsky and Diefenderfer, as soon as I met you, I knew we were going to hit it off. Well, my, my <laughs> buddy in high school was Chris Pekovich. So he was Russian. I'm Polish. We, 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 we hit it off. <laughs> well, we, I am glad that you did come to Lifeway six years ago. You have had such an impact uh, on, uh, on our team, on our company, on our culture, and on the church. And so I, I just want to take the moment to acknowledge your anniversary and thank you for, for choosing to follow the Lord here and to serve in your role. Thanks, Chuck. Now, Got a warm fuzzy. You do well. Good. You do have a, a lot of different ways that you um, influence, and so one of those things is you train uh, and, and you teach people how to use the Gospel Project in particular. Mm-hmm. But you also go beyond that as a thought leader, and uh, because of your unique perspective from roles you've held and, and who you are, uh, you've got a lot of great thoughts about larger things, uh, cultural issues, uh, how the gospel impacts the world. Uh, in general, in, in life in general. And so one of the things that has been on your mind um, that you've shared about recently at our Etch conference is this idea of consumerism. Yeah. You know, so we know we live in a, in a culture that's driven by stuff. It's acquiring stuff and, and people look to things to find their happiness, to find their identity, their contentment. And uh, in our culture, that's uh, it's really counter to the gospel. Uh, so let, let's unpack a little bit about of this, about, first of all, defining consumerism and then yeah. talking about this idea of uh, how does it line up with our faith? Yeah. So I think you would find many different definitions of consumerism, but the one that I would kind of suggest, and, it, and it's not, you know, word for word verbatim, but the idea is that consumerism to me is having an out of balance focus on buying and owning stuff. Um, especially non-essential goods, but essential goods could be included because we can go overboard like food. food. We need food. But I mean, if you're consumeristic and always requiring steak or the nicest of meals or whatever, mm. you're consumeristic and even an essential. And it's the buying and the owning. It's both. Sometimes people think it's just having the stuff, but acquiring is also part of consumerism. So it's the process and the end goal that is in mind here. And it's an out of balance. We need to buy stuff. And there's nothing wrong with owning things. There's even nothing wrong with owning some nice things. Yes. There, there is a line somewhere where that is, I think, is negotiable for each person in their walk with God and their, their context. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, w- I am not here to say, oh, if you own a car over a certain value or if you own a certain brand, you're in sin. Not at all. You could be. You could also be in sin for owning a clunker. That's um, right. Depending on what yeah. your heart is behind it. 
Yeah. And, and, and uh, so buying and acquiring things, but, but also that, that desire for things too, even because, you know, I, I find that even though I don't have the best of things, I, I can find myself coveting yes. the things that other people have. And, and even the desire for those things is a misplaced desire. Yeah. It's, it's, we're looking for things to fill the void in our heart or the voids in our lives that God is supposed to fill. Um, and we're looking to think, so it's, it's a form of idolatry when it comes down to it. So and that's, that's why it's so dangerous. Yeah. And so this is, this is dangerous for us as leaders. So I think mm-hmm. there's probably multiple angles that we need to approach this conversation from one would be ourselves, right? We, we need to begin by making sure we, as ministry leaders, as, uh, members of our families and friends of our friends and influencers where we are, that our heart is right in this area. So let's start there. Okay. How do we do a little self-inspection in this? Then we need to move to the family and really to children because this yeah. is something that is not just an adult issue, although we use big words like, you know, uh, covetousness of a car or of a house <laughs> or of a job or a title role. But, but for children, it can be that a, a new, uh, iPhone or yep. a game a system game. or a bike or who knows what it could be. So yeah, it could be, I, I would say, yeah, it's three levels. We have to consider this one is us personally. Yeah. And, and because if we're not in a good place, if we're living under the trap of consumerism and our focus is on things, if we have fallen into idolatry, we're not able to teach from the overflow. So for us personally, then as you say, for families, how can we help our families and kids, but also us as in our ministry, we yes. can be consumeristic in our ministries, looking at the church down the street that has nicer facilities and be jealous of them and, and trying to keep up with one. them. Yeah. yeah and so that, it's, honestly, it's that's a sore spot that can hurt if we push on that. Yes. Because yes, the truth it is can. none of us, uh, it's an issue of contentment, right? And many yep. of us are, are not content with what we have yep. and wishing if only we had more or different. I, yeah. And I think the thing, I, I see three key dangers of consumers. And the first one, let's just talk about it, move on and get to what you just asked about, because it really yep. is at the issue of the heart and identity. It's those two that I think are the key. The third one is simply consumerism squanders our resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about our, our finances, our money, and our time and energy. We invest so much. Think about how many people are working such long hours to be able to afford the home that they're in. They're, they're, they're in debt. They're upside down. You know, To drive that nice car, to take those yeah. vacations, they're working so much. They're wearing themselves out. And so time and energy, resources, concerns them, just drains. And we become but slaves to those things. We, we do. Right? We and so that's not living. healthy. That's, yeah, yeah. That, that's bad, period. But these other two are far worse. Consumerism, mm. the more you look into it, the uglier it gets. Mm. And th- this, the, one of the other dangers of consumerism is that it warps our heart, as we've talked about. Um, the consumerism feeds us a lie and it knows it feeds us a lie and we can't miss this. We're suckers for it. The lie of consumerism is what we just said a minute ago, Chuck, that if we just buy that next phone, that next phone that's released, that has all the bells and whistles. And immediately as we hear about that new phone, what happens to our view of our current phone? Oh, it's so barbaric and we're discontent. We need that phone and advertisers, businesses will say, if you buy this phone, it's everything you're looking for. Yes. It will satisfy your needs. It'll make you think of the commercials. If you buy this phone, the members of the opposite sex will be attracted to you. If you buy this phone, life will be joy. You know, everybody around you will laugh and everything will be great if you just have this phone. So consumerism starts to seep into our heart and our heart says, yeah, if I have that phone, everything will be great. And so we pursue that phone and the act of buying it 
um, you know, researchers have shown that the purchasing act will actually cause a chemical reaction in the brain and give us a high. Yeah. And so that's why the process, some people are just in the process of buying that excitement of buying a new car and smelling the new car smell. And then right after they drive it off the lot, they're discontent because they want that high again. Right. And so, so much of the anticipation, we get that dopamine yes. that comes with anticipating yes. and with acquiring and searching and finding and, and then but, getting it. And then at the end, yeah. it's not fulfilling. But here's the thing. Th- those businesses know they're telling you a lie because they know they're going to sell you a new phone in a year. So they yeah. need you to fall out of love with that phone or that car or that home or whatever the case may be. Because the way they make money on you is not to give you the one end all and be all purchase and call it a day. That's right. They need a returning customer. So they know there's a, um, researchers have also studied, there's a a bell curve where your satisfaction of an item will start slow as you're learning it. It will hit its high point at some point soon after purchase and then just trail off again. Mm -hmm. And they know that's going to happen and they play on that. They exploit us. They lie to us knowingly. This is going to solve everything. It's going to be the best thing ever. And they know, ha ha until we have that next best one and you repeat the process over and over again. And that lie has to be there because it sustains the system. So in one hand, it's making us discontent. Our hearts are discontent. Mm -hmm. We're never satisfied. We always think we need or deserve more. Another thing as we just talked about though, is comparing ourselves to others, Chuck. And think about, we do this personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's harder today because before, before the internet, we were just comparing ourselves basically to our immediate circle of neighbors who are usually in the same social class as we are. So driving into our neighborhood, we would see people who have similar homes to ours, similar cars to ours, people we work with in general, similar. But and now, so the Joneses we're trying to keep up with yes. were literally the Joneses literally on our the street, street, right? They were right there. But, but now, but now we're, not, we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Our marketers, as I mean, they know what they're doing. They have social media influencers, people who are extremely wealthy, who are living crazy lives, going on exotic vacations, driving sports cars, you know, exotic cars and everything. And we consider them our peers now because they're friends of ours on mm. Facebook. We have friended them. We follow them on Twitter. And so we feel connected to them. They have become our peers, mm. but they're not. And so th- what what happens is businesses and companies will put those out in front of us, causing us to hunger for that. We're comparing ourselves to others. And again, we can do this in churches. We, we are a mid-sized church and we look at that mega church down the street and we look at the facilities they have. We look at the, what they're able to do for vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. We look at all these things and we're like, oh, if only we had those things, then our ministry will be next level, right? Yeah. And we feel inferior instead of being content with what God has given us. And where he's given us. And so we'll pump money into renovating. And it's like, okay, there's nothing wrong with having nice facilities, but where's that line where we can cross that line too, of trusting in facilities to draw rather than the gospel to draw. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the third thing about warping our hearts is consumerism creates this need to need, as I've talked about. Um, It's, 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 we, we move to the point of not just needing things. We need the actual need of things. Mm. And so our hearts are turned upside down. And you can see this is all contrary to the gospel. The gospel is about being fulfilled and content in Christ. It's about finding our identity in Christ. And we'll talk about identity in a minute if we have time. And it's talking about finding true joy and security 
in Christ alone, none of these other things. Well, the world in, in the, the marketing world, the uh, cash is in on our dissatisfaction. But that lack of fulfillment is really something that is a God-given emptiness. You mentioned that we try to fill that in a way that's that's not the right way, but there is a right way, and that is through the provision that God's given us in Christ. We need to find our fulfillment in who he has made us to be and in how he's yeah. what he's given us uh, in terms of our giftedness and, and the things that we have. Everything we have is from the Lord. So that, that balance of contentment. So, so I do believe that we will never be satisfied as long as we look to those things. Mm-hmm. They will always be empty. So then where do we look to find that deep satisfaction? I'll throw you the softball. Yeah. Again, we got to look toward the gospel. We got to look toward Christ. I mean, in a way we are supposed to feel incomplete because we are. That's, that's the way it should be. If we felt complete, there would be an issue. Because even in Christ, even when we're turning our attention to Christ, and Paul wrestles with this, we know, wait a minute, but we're still not all the way there. We're still being sanctified. Mm-hmm. We still wrestle with sin. You know, all these things. We're not whole. And so there should be an ache. There should be a longing for more, for what is better. There should be a cry, a desperate cry of our souls to say, it's not supposed to be like this. I think of Jesus at Lazarus's tomb when he wept. Mm-hmm. I believe a lot of that weeping was, it should not be like this. This is what sin has wrought. And so we should have this, this, this emptiness void within us, not a complete emptiness, but this, this lack. Yeah, this, okay, it's, it's, yeah, it's this lack. And that draws us toward Christ and draws us toward our future hope. And that's why we should long for eternity and, and that day. So that right there, I think, is the key that we need to fight in our hearts. We need to put before our parents as they disciple their kids. Mm-hmm. We need to put before our kids. And of course, we need to look as we consider our ministries. So let's get practical then with that for a moment. So within our kids' ministries, as we look around, we we may have leaders who who perhaps have already addressed this in their own lives, but are looking at the children in their ministry and seeing this drive for things uh, as something that is competing for those the affections of those children. How, how do we speak to that from our position as ministry leaders? Yeah, I think the first thing is we have to recognize it, and we've hinted at this, but just to be clear, and again, statistics bear this out, research, you look at the dollars that are being spent in marketing toward kids. You look at the, the buying power that children have, and I'm talking about our kids. I mean, not just teenagers, kids. Um, they are major influencers of how money is spent in their homes and beyond. So they are being targeted and they're being sucked into this consumeristic trap just like we are. They are just as susceptible um, and you know it, it doesn't go away. So I think the first thing is, is we've got to recognize that and help our kids recognize it. We need to help them understand the lies that, that the media and culture and advertising can can point before us. And just think about it. I mean, think about some commercials that are just so absurd and we become immune to them. I mean, a commercial, they used, commercials used to talk about this is the benefits of this product. You know, Chuck, use these these earphones because the sound quality is better and, you know, the cord is longer and, and here are the three benefits. Now they show, they don't even talk about the benefits. They just show somebody with headphones. And again, it's usually people the opposite sex around or this party or, you know, everything's going right. And it's like, okay, you're, they're creating this image. Yes. If you have these headphones, you're this kind of person that you've always wanted to be. And so we need to help our kids recognize that. But more than that, we also need to point them toward the Bible speaks about wealth quite a bit. Talks about money quite a bit. 
And the Bible talks positively about money quite often. We have to be careful. It does speak negatively, but it, the Bible does say that God blesses those, can bless those with physical provision. We got to be careful. We're not into the prosperity gospel where it says he must. Right. It says he can, he might, if he chooses, he can. Um, so money is not a bad thing. Possessions are not a bad thing. It's the love of those things as yes. scripture talks about. So if we can point our kids to re recognize the superficial nature of things and that they won't fulfill, showing them from these verses and then showing them the better, Jesus is better. I remember Chuck when I was um, I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ back in the day. It's now called Crew, and when you're on Crew staff, you raise support. Uh, you don't receive a paycheck. You raise financial support from people, and uh, that's how you, you eat. Um, and so I was in that process. It was slow. You know, you being from Jersey, me from Maryland, you know that is not ex exactly a hotbed of you know people excited about giving you money to go tell people about Jesus. Right. So it was a slow process, and I had to sell my car that I had and bought this clunker. I mean, it was it was a Datsun 1979 Datsun B210, and this was in the mid to late 90s. So it was a 20-year-old Datsun. <laughs> um, and it got me from point A to point B. But I'm sitting in rush hour traffic on the Baltimore Beltway one day going to work. I was working a part-time job to make ends meet. And I was freezing because the heater did not work in that car. And so I'm in it bundled up in the middle of winter with a coat on. I'm shivering on my way to work at a sporting goods store. And I look over at some people driving these nice cars and my heart just went in a bad place. And I just said, these pagans next to me, I knew they were pagans somehow. These pagans next to me, <laughs> they, look, God, they, they have nice cars and I'm trying to serve you and I've got this. Mm -hmm. And he took the divine two by four and he beat me mercilessly with it. He's, you know, you be grateful. Yes, I've given you what you need. Is it not getting you to where you need to go? Yeah. Is, you know, and so... It was really a helpful reminder to me, and I think we all need that at times, and we need to help our kids experience that at times. So that's one thing. Another really practical thing we can do, Chuck, again, it goes back to our ministries. Are we going overboard on our ministries? We're teaching them consumerism. Hmm. If, if we're going and just really going overboard and spending tons of money and resources and attention on things, mm -hmm. What are we modeling? So there may be some people listening to this that have to really think deeply yeah. about their, what they have and is it really necessary? Let me be, a, a, to make the point, let me exaggerate. If you have meals for your kids and all those meals are exotic, expensive, top of the line, you know, your, your leaders, you're always having filet mignon and stuff like that. <laughs> what culture are you setting? Yeah, we certainly have to walk our talk in this. And in many ways, what we do means more than what we say, right? We, we have to demonstrate uh, these things to others because we, we can't, you know, when you point the finger at someone else, there's the three fingers pointing back at yourself, right? Is what they say. So um, absolutely, we have to live this value um, and demonstrate it. And so even yeah. as we talk about what this looks like within our ministries, there's within the church. That is a good word. And some of us need to be convicted today. Some of us need to uh, get alone with the Lord and, and really uh, ask him if we are uh, responding properly uh, in accordance with what he's given us and what he has withheld, at least at the moment. Yeah. And we need to learn something there. We, we need to make sure we're having the right influence on our kids. 
that we lead. And then as we connect with parents and families, and that may be one of the more difficult places is if we as church leaders take one position with a child on this and they're seeing something different lived out at home, home. that can be difficult for us. And as you know, check this, we, we know at Lifeway Kids, we are really, this is really important to us that we partner well with parents, Mm -hmm. that kids ministry flourishes when it's viewed through the lens of us and parents together. Yes. And I've experienced that back when I was early in student ministry and family ministry. And I found myself in opposition with my parents at times. And again, it was another two by four moment where God said, yeah, but what are you doing to build into your parents? You're, you're upset at them because they're kind of going against what you're kind of teaching from scripture, but have you discipled them? Right. Um, so I think we need to really recognize the need in this for us to partner well with them. And and I would say this, to, just to get this topic of identity on the radar, because it's so important. I think this is where we can help our parents, mm. that when we help them understand your role as a parent, as you disciple your kids, is really one that's based on identity, the identity of Christ that we want to teach them, and then their identity in Christ when they've trusted in Christ. Yes. And what does identity in Christ mean? It's who we are. It's the primary way we understand ourselves. And if I understand who I am in Christ, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in Christ, I'm a little Christ, Yes. then that really gives me the the framework to live any situation because I'm living from the reality of who I am. I don't have to worry about, all right, let me go with my kids and explain what if you do if this happens? What do you do if this happens? What do you do? It's it's too, there's it's an, it's an inexhaustible list of different scenarios. It's better to say, this is who you are in Christ. So how does Christ live in any situation? In Christ, you're one love saturates everything you do. So what's the most loving thing you can do in whatever situation comes along? Mm. So when if we focus on this, then it helps us combat the false identity narratives of consumerism that lead to idolatry. You are what you own. Mm. And so, no, your value is not based on how nice of a phone you are have. It's not based on how many things you have. It's not if you have the latest, coolest thing, then you have identity. No, your identity is fixed because all those things are fluid as well. The popular phone today is antiquated within a year. Yeah. Or if a, a business CEO sends out one foolish tweet, that company's stuff becomes anathema. It was the hottest stuff one day. And if you're wearing that brand clothing the next day, oh, I can't believe it. Don't you know what that company stands for? So identity based on things is untethered. It just kind of ebbs and flows. Identity in Christ is fixed. It's firm. And so if we can help our parents give identity in Christ to our kids – then they resist the lies of consumerism and finding identity elsewhere and recognize its foolishness and they stay tethered and anchored to who God has made them in Christ. I think that's the best way we can help parents combat not only consumerism, but also I think it's at the core of what discipleship really is. It's Ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. And so the culture presses against our children and, and it's from a different perspective than the gospel. And so we need to be aware that the, that the, our culture has a different agenda and that we need to stand firm uh, to point kids to Jesus where they will find their satisfaction. This whole thing reminds me, Brian, as you're describing that, of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and her encounter with Jesus when uh, he's asking her for a drink. And when he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and you would never thirst again. So we are a thirsty people who are looking to be satisfied. 
And all we will find is emptiness in the things of the world and the possessions we can have. So thank you, Brian. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart. Thanks for sharing with us. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Hey, I want to encourage you, if you've enjoyed this conversation, look to digitalpass.lifeway.com. It's a big mouthful, but it's worth it. We'll have <laughs> producer Trey stick that in the show notes. It's as long as Dimbozik. <laughs> Digital, digitalpass.lifeway.com, where you can find access to content from our Etch Family Ministry Conference. We just recently held the conference. And if you missed it, you can find the full session that Brian taught on this subject. It's called Not Buying It. And he unpacks all these thoughts on consumerism. And there are many, many, many other sessions there that will benefit you. So find them all in our archive on digitalpass.lifeway.com. Thank you, Brian. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll see you back again soon for another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast.